There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sports. <laughs> this is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. You are listening to The Grill. We are live from Barasti where the game is always on. It's our first show of 2020. So, Happy New Year to one and all. What have we got for you between now and nine o'clock? No Premier League action for you, but worry not. It's the emotion, it's the drama, it's the history of, yeah, yeah, guessed it, the FA Cup third round. It's underway already. It's on the big screen down here at Barasti and plenty more games to come throughout the course of the next couple of days. There's also action over in France. The Coupe de, Mont, the Coupe de France taking place today and La Liga as well. So we'll keep you uh, an eye on both of those competitions. Um, Cricket fans well catered for, plenty going on down in Australia. We're at the latest uh, Stumps report, Australia against New Zealand. England taking on South Africa, that's still live for the next couple of hours, so we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, The brand new ATP Cup, one of the new tournaments on the 2020 calendar uh, of the ATP, is underway down in Brisbane. Uh, Plus we've got the Tournament of Champions in a very rainy Hawaii at present. We'll have all the latest from the world of NFL and much, much more if you would like to be part of proceedings. We encourage you to do so how do you do that you text me now on 4001 you'll have to say online by uh, getting in touch at dubai i 138 fm at dubai i sports or better still just get yourself down to barasti where the game is always on come on down to barasti at the meridian mina siahi uh, make your way through to barasti there is free parking for all those that are using the services at barasti and then you will have the opportunity to take advantage of some great food and beverage uh, offers whilst we are on air this is the grill Live from Brasti, where the game is always on. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Text 4001 or message us for free on the Dubai Eye app. You are listening, listening to The Grill. Great to have you on board. Do come on down to Barasti and be part of the sporting bants over the next couple uh, of hours. We're here through until 9 o'clock this evening. And we're back for another year, 2020. We're back with a merry band of grill panellists to talk you through the wide, wide world of a sport and all the intrigue and the stories that go along with it. Uh, Monty's making his first appearance of 2020. Welcome to you, Monts. Thank you, Tom. Good evening to all. Happy New Year. Wishing oh. everyone uh, all the very best in 2020 and looking forward to a great year of sports. Indeed. We've got lots to talk about in terms of the year in sport. Uh, Mark Archer's been there, done that. He was part of, I think you are part of the first grill panel, weren't you, Archie? I was part of the pilot, Tom, if you don't part remember. Part of the pilot, yeah. In fact, so, you were some, the pilot. Somehow there are only two of us remaining. What on earth's happened there? <laughs> I don't uh, know. Hopefully the, the standard has been raised, though, down the, the years. The good news is, yeah, we've weeded out all the, all the poor talent and we, we've survived uh, almost nine years of the grill. So it's great to be back at Brasti and uh, happy new decade to everyone. Happy New Year of, of, of last few days, but we are in the 2020 now. Exciting times ahead and uh, looking forward to a big year in sport. Obviously, not 2019 was a massive year. World Cups and rugby and cricket, uh, plenty going on there. But also this year, 2020, Olympics, Tokyo. Exactly that. And that's not the only thing. Uh, T20 World Cup as well to look forward to. Uh, and some major tournaments around the world in other sports. Uh, talking of uh, standards being raised in recent years, uh, one man who's helped to do that and up our average a little uh, is, of course, Mr. Robbie Greenfield. RG, good to have you on board. I can't believe that Mark Arch was on the pilot and the grill's still going. I'm still <laughs> digesting that news. But yes, You can't believe that actually was a, the first show was commissioned <laughs> after me being on the pilot, Robbie, is what you're saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. 
going, yeah. But no, Arch is, is a stalwart. He's a staple of the sports output here on Dubai 103.8. And yeah, it's an absolute privilege to be on the first <laughs> grill of a new decade, Tom. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Big thanks to all the team at Barasti. Uh, we are broadcasting up from the rooftop garden. So if you're in the vicinity, do come and say hi and yo to us. Be nice to see from you. Uh, no Premier League action to get our head around today. Well, because basically there's been about 27 games for each team in the last seven hours or something, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, been yeah. a lot of chat about that. Yeah, it feels like there's been about 19 rounds of match fixtures between sort of late December and, and now. And uh, I'm going through Premier League withdrawal symptoms as a result, Tom. But I'm trying to digest the fact that the magic of the FA Cup is upon us. And a lot of different types of teams are going to be put out. A lot of There's a lot of squad rotation that takes place, especially among the Premier League teams. But trophies are all important and managers can keep their jobs if they can get good runs in these competitions. So I think we've seen a sea change where the League Cup and the FA Cup have started to be taken a lot more seriously than they were, say, 10 seasons ago when trophies have become of such huge import for all these managers because there simply aren't... There's too many aspirations and not enough Premier League titles and Champions Leagues up for grabs and these trophies have, have regained a lot of importance. You know how one of the sort of common themes that we've heard in, in the last couple of weeks from football managers has, of course, been uh, the absurdity uh, of the scheduling, the fact that uh, Premier League is one of, if not the only sort of major league in the world that has been asked to play four major games over the course of the best part of a week or maybe 10 days, etc., which causes uh, so many problems in terms of management, in terms of uh, team selection, but also in terms of injuries ongoing. There's been some DAFTA uh, centre uh, reports out in the last couple of days suggesting that every single team has suffered, some much more than others when it comes to injury. I mean, is this something that the powers that be ever going to look at? Or is it such a sort of, I know we're going to talk about the drama, the tradition, the history of FA Cup his, of football in a moment, but is that part of the tradition of the UK? Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's such a huge, it, it's part of the Premier League's pulling power. And it's, it's one of the reasons why the Premier League has has been able to uh, you know, get into a position of strength versus La Liga, versus Serie A, versus Liga 1, versus the Bundesliga. The fact that there is football over the festive period, it's a huge tradition. Of course, the Boxing Day matches are a massive tradition. The New Year's Day matches are a massive tradition. Uh, despite the fact that there's been increasing calls for a lengthier uh, winter break, I just don't think we're going to see that over this particular period. I think there is a break coming up later on this month, but... It has placed an awful lot of pressure on on squads, and you know when you're reliant on one player, we've seen with Tottenham and Harry Kane, he's going to be out for eight weeks with a tear, a torn hamstring. So he he is so vital to Tottenham's chances. There are other teams that that can perhaps chop and change their their talent. They can bring in if you're Liverpool, Divock Origi can come in and do a job for Liverpool. They're perhaps not as reliant on a on a talisman as as say a Tottenham are, but. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how Jose Mourinho, who I note is looking decidedly frostier than he was when he took over the reins. He was Mr. Happy when he came in at Tottenham Hotspur. All of that cheery demeanour seems to have evaporated. And uh, I noticed that on the weekend... He said, I was right to get a yellow card. I was rude, but I was rude to an idiot. I know. Yeah, some choice words there. Um, Robbie mentioned or highlighted a couple of the teams that have really suffered yeah. from this, those without the bigger squads. Uh, the likes of Newcastle know that uh, Steve Bruce has mentioned that he finds it very difficult uh, after the injuries they've incurred. Watford as well. Have a, a, spare, uh, a spare thought for Watford. Aston Villa, I think, has suffered the, uh, the most because we know where Aston Villa are in the table. They're fighting for a place. Uh, you know they're, they're, they're almost uh, close to the relegation zone and they've lost two main players their goalkeeper Heaton and Wesley who are out for the season 
uh, with an ACL uh, cruciate ligament injury, which is uh, quite a, a blow for Aston Villa. They cannot just rely on Jack Grealish all the time. They need a team and we know that the squad is a bit thin. So it puts a lot of pressure on Aston Villa, I think, to survive uh, in the Premier League this season. Uh, let's hope for the best. A bit of drama in the FA Cup, though. Uh, and, of course, we will keep an eye on that one for you. Uh, and it, uh, we talk about giant killing. We talk about uh, the the the, draw, the the drama, the stories that unfold in the FA Cup. A number of uh, Premier League teams are in action at the moment. It looks very much like one is on the receiving end at present. Yes, indeed, it's a goal in the game between Rochdale and Newcastle. You may recall that Rochdale. Uh, were involved in an incredibly controversial encounter with Tottenham Hotspur last season. I think they lost it 6-1 or 6-2, but there was some farcical, and that's been a theme of the season subsequently, farcical VAR decisions. Rochdale have struck back against Newcastle. They've equalised. And again, Premier League big, you know, big guns susceptible to these lower division teams in, in this round of the FA Cup. Rochdale, I think the 78 minutes on the clock. We may be heading for a replay here. Don't have a goal scorer for you. I can tell you Miguel Almiron opened the scoring for Newcastle and we're just waiting on the goal scorer for Rochdale. It is Wilbraham. So Wilbraham has equalised for Rochdale on the 79th minute, Tom, and with 10 minutes left of normal time to go in this one, it is Rochdale 1, Newcastle 1. Six games underway in the third round of the FA Cup at the moment, um, and uh, Newcastle United uh, are uh, the current uh, Premier League team who is feeling the pinch, uh, having uh, just conceded that equaliser as well. Will they bite back uh, in the remaining 10 minutes? Will remain to be seen. Let's get to some of the other scores with 10 minutes remaining. Well, Rotherham United and Hull City are currently sharing the honours at 2-2 there. Millwall have a 2-0 lead against Newport County. Premier League side Burnley, they're 4-2 up against Peterborough United. Bristol City and Shrewsbury Town, it's 1-1 and it's also 1-1 between two championship sides, Birmingham City and Blackburn Rovers. So we could be looking at quite a few replays and this is when the congestion really starts to pile up on the fixture list because when you draw these matches, of course, they are replays played at the opposing ground and currently we've got one, two, three, four draws out of the six games ongoing at the moment. We've got four Premier League sides in action at seven o'clock, Tom. That's in under an hour's time. We've got uh, Brighton and Hove Albion taking on Sheffield Wednesday. Aston Villa are in action against a team that was relegated from the Premier League, Fulham. Uh, We've got Southampton taking on Huddersfield Town and Watford face Tranmere Rovers and then there's four Premier League sides in fact in action at half past nine as well Bournemouth are taking on Luton Leicester they face former FA Cup finalists Wigan Athletic in fact former FA Cup winners Wigan Athletic didn't they beat Manchester City a few years ago Man City themselves are in action against Port Vale and I think the tie of the round pits Wolverhampton Wanderers against Manchester United uh, lots of football to look forward to. It is FA Cup third round day. Mark Archer, I know that you're a great uh, connoisseur of uh, the uh, English Premier League. FA Cup, though, do you get up for that? I mean, as it, from a Kiwi point of view? Look, it, it, funnily enough, the FA Cup was what really took me on to English football. It was back in the late 70s when Manchester United lost a game. Uh, a you final. were late getting into football, were you, Archer? Yeah. <laughs> I think I was, I was six or seven years old. And I 37 watched, by then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I watched, I watched Manchester United lose the final against Arsenal. I think they, uh, they, they trailed 2-0 and they came back to 2-2. And they lost, they lost to Arsenal 3-2. And from that moment on, I was sort of fixated with English football as a youngster growing up in New Zealand. That was a match. I think it might be 1979, um, back, back, back in yesteryear. But that really got me hooked on it. English football. It was the romance of the, the FA Cup, that, that, that drama, the, the, the ability to have upsets. And that really 
got me on board with the what was then at the old, the old English First Division at the time, the English Football League. So, yeah, no, I, I still, still a big fan. I think I think over recent years we've discussed this for a long time whether it's lost a bit of luster. Has it lost a? Is it more important for some teams now to stay in the Premier League and actually win the FA Cup? Probably because it generates so much more revenue. But it does give the fairy tale stories. It does give. It, it makes heroes, doesn't it? it? We remember one-off games in the FA Cup as opposed to just games going on in the Premier League although you look at recent FA Cup winners and I mean it's a pretty impressive roll call Manchester City obviously won it last season Chelsea have won it a couple of times in recent years Arsenal had that wonderful period of of FA Cup success towards the back end of Arsene Wenger's reign and of course that back then that was a stick with which to beat Arsene Wenger you come fourth in the league and you win the FA Cup that's not good enough I think they'd swap that now though given the predicament that Arsenal find themselves in with Arsene Wenger obviously moving on and Unai Emery not working out. Mikel Arteta has ushered in an optimistic new reign, but certainly a reign at Arsenal that could go one way or the other. Fourth position and FA Cup success seems like a pretty good return if you're Arsenal fans right now. And the funny thing is, we've talked in recent years about the the, the decline of the FA Cup to, to a degree, and you can argue for and against, but we also talk about the League Cup, how a lot of the big teams really were fielding second sides and reserve goalkeepers, but... You look at the winners in the, in the last few years of the, of, of the League Cup and you see that a lot of teams have taken it really seriously and have fielded really strong sides in that competition as well. The likes of Manchester City, the likes of Liverpool, the likes of Manchester United, they've seen it as a trophy worth winning, whereas I think for a few years it sort of fell by the wayside. It was the, it was the cup you didn't really want to be in. It, it gave you an extra week off in, in some shape or form. But I think silverware... Well, the West Ham approach, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but silverware seems to be so important for every club now to win something. It keeps managers safe, it keeps fans happy... And, and for teams to be given less than 100% effort by fielding weakened sides doesn't seem to be tolerated as much as it was maybe five, six, seven years ago. Speaking yeah. of West Ham, sorry to interrupt, Monty, but I've got to get your thoughts. I don't think, uh, I don't think David Moyes had taken over no, on yeah. the last grill. I've got to get your initial thoughts on, what? on a U-turn with West Ham saying they wanted to move in a different direction when he last left the club to then go back on that direction and essentially just perform a three-point turn and just start <laughs> driving in the other way. Just a clarification. Can I, do, you want my, do you want my thoughts? Pre the game on New Year's Day, or post the game on New Year's <laughs> yeah, well, Day. Well, it is amazing how a new a new manager can can inspire and and get an instant reaction from the players. But okay, with those with, with that four nil win in mind, Tom, are you? Uh... So Chris, myself, Arch, and Chris did the grill last time, and we were talking, and we were getting. I was bemoaning the fact, please not Moyes, please not Moyes. It would be exactly as you say, a move in a in a direction that we didn't want to be going down. So it just seemed to be a complete slap in the face. However. Uh, on the back of the result, on the back of the of the bounce back, and this was a phrase that Chris coined or didn't coin. He, he I think he he, he preceded it from self, uh, somewhere somewhere else. The, but the the bounce back ability uh, yeah. of a team uh, and using that, it seems that Moyes has, has, has tapped into it. I just would all I would do is temper it. And I've had a lot of my West Ham fans coming around the corner and say, "Yeah, we're back. Come on, you eyes, David Moyes, never in doubt. Loved him to bits, etc." After we were absolutely stripping stripping him uh, over lunch on New Year's Day, that's for sure. Going, what on earth are we doing? I'm not watching it. In fact, I'm holding handing him my. my my resignation as a team, as a, as a as a fan of this team, and then you get the result. Let's wait and see. It was Bournemouth. Bournemouth are in a, in a world of pain at the moment. They're playing some awful football. They were up at the London Stadium. It was a home result. Let's bide our time. At the moment, David can stay. It did make me laugh that he said he was going home, having spent six months there <laughs> in his first stint. That was a bit of a stretch. 
Yeah, he's obviously one of those sort of nomads, isn't <laughs> yeah, he? You know? yeah, exactly. Home. Wherever I lay my hat is my home, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, he has been, I suppose, after 13 years or however long he was at Everton. But sorry to interrupt years, you, Monty. Years, you had a point to make. Uh, yes, I was just uh, coming back to Mark uh, and in, in regards to the squad rotation. Liverpool are not going to have a squad rotation uh, coming the Merseyside derby in the FA Cup because I heard, I saw a footage today where Trent Alexander-Arnold and Robertson were training and Klopp comes and says, guys, you need rest. I, I, I need you for the game. So, so, so Liverpool at the moment, they will be going with a, with a full full 11, the, 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 their strongest squad and that there is no respite for the players at the moment. We'll keep an eye on the results as they come through in the FA Cup third round. Uh, we have about uh, four minutes remaining. Interesting developments down uh, at Rochdale. They've got a corner deep into this game. We'll keep an eye on that one. We'll report on any action in the Emirates FA Cup straight after this. This is The Grill. Join the conversation. Tweet the team at Dubai Eye Sport. Right, ordinarily we break away to bring you news of a goal, but on this occasion we're bringing you news of a wicket. Mark Archer is keeping an eye on England against South Africa. Yeah, it's a big wicket down in uh, beautiful Newlands in Cape Town. It's, of course, it's day two of the second test match at South Africa hosting England, having won the first test match in Pretoria. England were dismissed earlier today for 269. The Surrey youngster Ollie Pope scored 61 not out, batting number six. Uh, Kiso Rabadis took three for 68 for South Africa. In reply, it's been tough going for South Africa. They're currently 162 for four, but England has taken the big wicket of opening batsman Dean Elgar. Caught Joe Root, bowled Don Bress for 88. So massive uh, wicket for England uh, with that of Dean Elgar, the opening bat, gone for 88. So currently 162 for four. Uh, Rassi de, uh, van der Dusen is currently 51 not out having been recalled he was caught behind off Stuart Broad off a no ball he was recalled back in but big partnership you would think here for South Africa the man, new man at the crease is Quentin de Kock who's going to score quickly he's going to be aggressive he's currently 5 not out after 6 balls so uh, South Africa in reply to England score of 269 162 for 4 they trail England by 107 runs we're going to talk about the uh, cricket in more detail some of the big talking points uh, no balls being one of those big talking points in just a little while uh, but we're just going to focus if we can on the final closing minutes of the uh, opening games of the FA Cup third round I'll tell you one of the things and I'm not going to get too misty eyed about the third round of the FA Cup one thing I do love is that how you can come into Barasti uh, in the first week of January and they've got Rochdale against Newcastle on the big screen and there are a couple of voices down there getting very very excited every time Rochdale go anywhere near so that's, that's one of the things I love about this yeah. tournament is that there are Rochdale fans mm. in Dubai. They are. And Rochdale, uh, this, is, this is their match of the year for them. They're 18th in League One. So the chance to go up against a Premier League, I'll call them a giant because they are a big club. Yeah. They might not be um, having the, a giant season by any means, Newcastle United. What are they in the league? They are 13th at the moment in the Premier League. But they're a couple of divisions ahead of Rochdale. And uh, it would be a massive scalp if Rochdale can get a victory here, even just to get a replay and have a chance to go to St James's Park and, and play in the replay against Newcastle would, would afford those fans a memorable day out. And that would probably be one of the highlights of their season. So you're absolutely right. I mean, it's just a little bit different. The Premier League is, is just, you know, it's, it's like eating yeah. a buffet where there's every which way and, you know, you have to have about 15 slices of cake. It just gets force-fed to you over the Christmas period and it's brilliant and yet it's almost too much. It's too in your face yeah. at times. And I don't know, I'm enjoying a little bit of a change here. 
Um, the Premier League, of course, is, is, is the one they all want to win and it's the one that commands so much of the global attention. But third round of the FA Cup gives you something a bit different. I can tell you there's been a result. Millwall have beaten Newport County by a scoreline of 3-0. Still four games level uh, as we head into extra time of these first round of third round FA Cup fixtures. Rotherham are drawing with Hull City 2-2. Rochdale, as we mentioned, 1-1 with Newcastle United. Bristol 1-1 with Shrewsbury Town. Burnley look like they're booking their passage through to the next round. 4-2 up against Peterborough United. And it's still 1-1 between Birmingham and Blackburn. There's also football being played over in Spain. Um, They have been asked to return to footballing duties. Uh, So they are playing uh, over in La Liga. A couple of games last night that we'll tell you about later on in the show, but let's get to the live ones now, if we can. Monty, what you got for us? Um, Valencia, uh, winners 1-0 over Ibar. Uh, The game was uh, over half an hour ago, and I'm looking forward to the game tonight. It's it's a Catalonian derby, Barcelona versus Espanyol. That's going to be a good game. Uh, Gaddafi will be playing Real Madrid at 7pm UA time, Atletico Madrid taking on Levante at 9.30pm UA time and glad to see the La Liga back in action. And I tell you what, and Gareth Bale makes a start for that Real Madrid side who are going well once again under Zinedine Zidane. Isn't that the unlikeliest of turnarounds from a, from a player-club relationship point of view? Bale was out when he held up that banner. I think it was over the, the Wales game. Wales, yeah. Golf, Madrid in that order. <laughs> And yet now he's worked his way back into the team. It's, it's extraordinary. You just thought there was no way back for him at Real Madrid. But for one reason or another, and Eden Hazard is missing from this Real Madrid lineup. In fact, he is not even on the bench for uh, Real Madrid. So that must mean an injury for the Belgian. I can't think, although he's not really hit the ground running for, uh, for Los Blancos, has he? No, he hasn't. I mean, he's not the same player uh, that he was in Chelsea. And it does take uh, a bit of time, you know, when you go to another... Uh, league and, and, and play our first season so maybe next season Eden Hazard comes good and we see the same Eden Hazard uh, like how he was in Chelsea scoring goals making those assists uh, Real Madrid are missing that at the moment and they are actually missing Cristiano Ronaldo big time if you see because the results are not really going in favour of uh, Real Madrid Karim Benzema has stepped up this season scoring a few goals but yes uh, I, I totally agree with you on Gareth Bale and he's back in the squad it's good to see because uh, Real Madrid need Gareth Bale at the moment so much to talk about, uh, but let's just have a look at some of these results that are coming in. The uh, game that we're watching on the big screen has concluded, as uh, Robbie uh, alluded to a little earlier on. Uh, what's the worst thing you can get in the third round of the FA Cup? A draw. And it looks like Newcastle have got the one exactly that. They certainly have. Yeah, that game has finished 1-1 between Rochdale playing at home. 18th in League One, Rochdale. Of course, beaten last season by Tottenham Hotspur in a controversial game. They've earned the draw against Newcastle United, Tom, and it will be a replay. They'll head back to St James's Park. I can tell you that Newcastle United took the lead. Miguel Almiron opened the scoring on the 17th minute, but Rochdale fought back, and it was Aaron Wilbraham. 1-1, 79th minute. They've held on, and Rochdale have earned a replay against mighty Newcastle United. Still playing, as far as we can see, at Bristol, Rotherham, Birmingham, Burnley. Uh, We're going to keep an eye on all of those and let you know as and when they come to a conclusion. Uh, Then, of course, we get ready for the games uh, taking place a little later on this evening. Uh, The 7 o'clock kickoffs are several uh, at 7 o'clock. Then 9.30 we'll see the remainder of the game. So no shortage of football to look forward to. It is the FA Cup third round and it always throws up a couple of storylines. The FA Cup. History. The greatest club competition in the world. The iconic. 
Freud. Passion. Giant killing. Drama. And plenty of glorious moments. Your place in history. Everyone's dream. A magic. The magic happens every year. But some magic can last a lifetime. Rapid again. It's a triumph for the underdogs. Sutton United at the GM Vauxhall Conference have put in our first edition Coventry City. What a dramatic moment in FA Cup history. Moment of pain. As Michael has saved it. Quickly become moments of glory. Dicks. It's a wonderful run. Putting inside in the final. Special moment. Didier Drogba has fired Chelsea into the cup final. Cup final day. A special day in the football calendar. A global audience of 100 million. Wembley is the house of football. See, everybody brings that stupid song. The spare are in the way to want to. So I'm ever wearing stupid suits. No comments. I've still got mine and I still wear it. <laughs> when you walk out, the crowd is a big party. I remember it's just, just been struck by the colour. When you go out there and then the whole ground erupts, it's fantastic. Completely different to anything you ever get in the world. To create cup history, you need the touch. Here we are. And still Ricky Villa. What a fantastic run. He scored. Amazing goal. To George. He scored. George has done it. 25 yards out. Goal. Roberto Di Matteo. Bang. Don't worry. It's only Ray Parler. Ray Parler. It's just a habit. Ian Rush again. Scoring in the cup final. Rush, goal! Vintage Ian Rush. Long time before anyone breaks my record. See about that. Nothing better than scoring the winner. Unless you do it again. Yet another goal for Didier Drogba. It's not just about goals. Cherry, brilliant save, and Lola makes it one each. No, astonishing. It's saving your side from defeat. Oh, terrific double save that by Neville Southall. There's nothing better than leading your side to victory. It's a special moment. Chelsea have won the double. Picking up the trophy is a good, good thing. The FA Cup. The best knockout competition in the world.
some people never win it. It gives you those special moments. But when you win it, you want to win it again. Your weekend home for all things sports, live from Barasti on Dubai I 103.8. So let's just put in the picture of those uh, lives uh, as they were confirmed in the FA Cup third round. Uh, all the games have now been concluded, the early kickoffs that is, uh, in the FA Cup third round. Robbie Greenfield's got your results. Some last gasp for victories. I can tell you it is ecstasy for Birmingham, agony for Blackburn Rovers. Jeremy Bella for Birmingham City in injury time has given them a 2-1 victory over their championship rivals. So Birmingham are through to the next round. Blackburn have gone tumbling out in injury time. Bristol and Shrews that finished 1-1. Burnley uh, sealed their advantage over Peterborough United by four goals to two. Millwall beat Newport County 3-0. We told you Rochdale and Newcastle split the honours 1-1. And there was last-minute drama as well against uh, for Rotherham United against Hull City. And it was Hull City and Tom Eaves in injury time, popping up with the winner there, Tom. 3-2 to Hull City. So Hull have gone through. Rotherham have crashed out. And uh, we're looking forward now to the 7 o'clock games getting underway in about 26 minutes' time. Indeed. We'll tell you about uh, the reason that the games are kicking off a one minute past the hour in just a few moments' time. But what's happening in the cricket, Mark Archer? Yeah, two chess matches underway, a match that concluded earlier uh, the day's play in Sydney, the SCG, and also live cricket taking place in the beautiful Newlands ground in Cape Town. Live update from Newlands, South Africa, 181 for four in reply to England's score of 269. Quinton de Kock is the new man at the crease. He's th- raced to 13 not out off only 14 deliveries with his aggressive style of batting. Uh, and Rassi van der Dusen is currently 62 not out. Having had a reprieve, he was caught behind off Stuart, uh, off Stuart Broad's bowling. However, the video replay showed that Stuart Broad had bowled a no ball. He was recalled to the crease and he's made his way to 62 not out. So the game's in the balance there. England dismissed earlier today for 269. Ollie Pope, the young Surrey opening bat- or lead- top order batsman batting at six for England, he top scored with 61 not out. Uh, Kigiso Rabada took three for 68 for the pro tiers. So uh, South Africa, plenty of work to do, but they're right back in this very evenly poised match. A match that isn't so evenly poised is the third test over at the SCG. Stumps on day two. Australia dismissed earlier today for 454. It's all about one man in Australia this summer, Manus Labashay. Double century he scored. He completed his first maiden double test century with 215 he scored in this match. He's now scored an astounding 837 runs for the home summer. It's phenomenal. He's a run machine. We talk about the, the prolific scoring of Stephen Smith. I think he was a substitute in the Ashes yeah. as well. Yeah, concussion substitute. And he only burst on the scene sort of a year ago when England, uh, when Australia had all sorts of batting problems and he was plucked almost out of obscurity to get a game. But here's a guy that's really found his uh, grown into test cricket like no one else. And we talk about the you know how prolific Steve Smith's been. This guy surpassed him with the runs that he scored. But in reply, New Zealand battling away. They've got injury problems. They've got illness problems captains out of the match they've lost five players from the from the test last previous test match they called up a bloke that was surfing the day before in New Zealand to come over and <laughs> to come over and play in the middle order and batting they're that short of players uh, the black caps I, was, I kept my phone on I kept my mobile on overnight I thought I might get a call up um, from Brasti but no New Zealand battling away 63 without loss at stumps but it's all been about Marnus Labashe and his double hundred this SCG crowd sensed when they turned up, and his father did as well, that a double might be on the cards, and it's come to fruition. Well done, Marnus Labashain. There he gets the outside edge. There he gets the boundary. And there he puts an exclamation.
quotation mark on one of the great summers in Australian cricket. Yeah, it certainly has been, Smithy. That is amazing performance. 203 in oppressive conditions. He's had a little slice of luck, but uh, he's gone from strength to strength. And there's another feather in his cap, a tremendous double hundred at the SCG. Yeah, it's Marnus Labashay bringing up his double hundred. He went on, he was finally dismissed. Uh, caught him by Todd Astle, the leg spinner, for 215. What is, it, what is his success down to? Well, he said the return of David Warner and Steve Smith have been a big help to his recent form. Yeah, look, um, you know, I haven't really had time to sit down and, and think about sort of how the whole year's unfolded. Um, it's been pretty special. But, you know, last time this year, yeah, you're right, I was, I was sitting here and there, there was um, sort of a lot of questions. But like I said, um, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity and, and obviously, you know, scoring runs is always nice. You never take it for granted, though, because it can turn very quickly. Having Steve and, and Dave back has made a massive difference to to the whole team and, and, and just, I think, you know, when you bring guys back that, you know, average 50 and 60, it's, it's no, there's no wonder that, you know, we're, we're doing consistently well as a team. Um, so, you know, and, and, and to talk about the game and to learn from them as, as a younger player in the team is, is what you want to do as a younger player. You want to soak it all up because, um, you know, they've got so much knowledge. I mean, they play all three formats um, so, you know, you might be good, you know, doing all right in one format, but they're doing all right in three formats. So, um, you know, there's so much to learn from them, not just in, you know, in test cricket, but for, for all, all cricket. And, you know, they've got a wealth of experience. So to have them back is, is amazing. That's Marnus Labashade just completed his maiden test double century, 215. Arguably, Indian fans will disagree, arguably probably the leading batsman in test cricket on current form at the moment. I'm sure Virat Kohli supporters would have something to say about that, but he's been in an in a unparalleled form uh, back in the home series in Australia. Interesting enough, though, we talk about the test match taking place in Newlands, and we've talked up, Tom, football, pre-season, pre-warm-up, football again has come to the fore. Rory Burns injured and out of the series with an ankle injury tackled by his captain Joe Root forced to miss the test match Big KP Kevin Peterson had this to say about warm up matches of football before cricket test matches I think they probably crossed the line of being over competitive and trying too hard to be proper footballers when we played football it wasn't so competitive uh, and it also wasn't as um, as vociferous as the tackles and the way that the guys go in now. I mean, it's proper football that they're playing, and I think that has led to the issues that they've got at the moment. If it was non-contact, I'm a great believer that football is OK. I don't think that KP's seen the video of what Burns actually did, has he? It, it looked, it looked, I've seen the video. It looks as though he was spiked. It looked as though Joe Root just nipped his ankle. They were near him. The ball no. was passed, uh, passed forward to him, and he just landed awkwardly. Okay. Went over on, a, on, an, on an ankle and then pulled up straight afterwards. But are you a, f- are no are you a fan? It's a, it's, a, it's a disappointing way to lose a player, though, isn't it? I, it look, okay, look. I mean, what are you going to do? You played cricket to a high level. Um, uh, any sport you play to a high level, you need to break up the boredom. You need to break up the boredom of training. You need to break up the boredom of... Of, of of the uh, of the warm up, um, and if that means throwing an Aussie rules ball around, if that means playing uh, touch rugby, playing touch rugby, if that means playing a bit of football, if that means playing a bit of British bulldog, whatever it is, as long as you're getting your heart rate up a little bit, um, you're going to get. I mean, we've we've seen we've seen through the most innocuous warm ups with Glenn McGrath on on a ball on a, on the outfield of Edbaston many years ago. Shows you that the accidents will happen. 
in any any sort of warm up, any sphere. So yeah, I'm we, not an issue. We, we, we saw that issue. last weekend in the Premier League, didn't we? Uh, when uh, Everton player Bernard, I think he. He he was in the starting lineup and then uh, he was he, he got injured because of a tackle in warm up. So so yeah, these things happen and uh, and I mean uh, in order to keep yourself fit to, to to you know to get ready for a competitive game, players have to go through this always. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen all sorts of funny injuries over the years, haven't we? With sportsmen dropping things in showers and tripping over stuff. And Roy McIlroy injured himself playing football, didn't he? Ruled him yes. out of the Open yes. all those years ago. Yes. I think he missed the, the St Andrews Open in 2015. And what I can't remember was it a tackle from someone else that uh, injured injured Might Rory's well ankle? have been. Yeah, it might well have been. As well, didn't he get into a bit of trouble skiing? Well, I'm, or not not? Sure, I'm not sure many golfers like Roy McIlroy would be spending much time on the slopes because Miguel Angel Jimenez injured himself skiing. Well, funnily a few enough, Phil Mickelson yeah. has just posted from his skiing holiday in Whistler or wherever he's gone. But uh, then again, I suppose it's less important for him to be at peak physical condition. The man is 50 years of age, and I think he's counting every season on the PGA Tour as a bit of a blessing these days. Well, funnily enough, the man allegedly, the captain of England, Joe Root, who was allegedly the, the tackler or the would-be tackler of Rory Burns, which led to his injury, which led to him missing the match and the rest of the tour, has been uh, questioned about his captaincy recently. He's been under a bit of pressure. Poor form in New Zealand in, in, in November. Poor form in the first Test match. Questions uh, coming across from Nasser Hussain about captaincy affecting his batting. Where is his rightful place? It was a good uh, one-to-one interview if, you, if you've listened to the Sky interview in the last few days. But this is what um, Joe Roots had to say about the captaincy, the pressure of the English summer, and of course where he thinks he is with the English team at the moment. No, I don't think it is. I think it's it's intertwined with some being part of a team of transition and trying to adapt my game to a different role. You know, going up to number three, and that didn't really—I don't think that really worked for me. If I'm being brutally honest, I think feel a lot more comfortable at number four I feel it allows me to captain better as well I think about the game better when I'm playing at number four just that extra little bit of time just to reset myself separate the two give a bit more clarity on you know, what I want to go and do whether that is bat or whether it is take the team on the field I think sometimes you know you look at some difficult series you start questioning certain things and that can leak into your batting you look at Australia and losing 4-0 you take that quite heavily as a captain as you know that as you say, naturally you see that as uh, on your shoulders and um, that can knock your confidence in c- certain parts of decision-making, certain ways that you look at things. And uh, I think over time I had to build that back up and from that experience I actually sort of try to uh, you know, avoid getting in that position again where you do question yourself, say, no, trust your gut, trust your gut. This is why you've been given the opportunity to captain because you're the right man to do it, so don't be afraid of, of trusting what you think is right. Um, and then making sure that that doesn't, you know, when there is that doubt there in that, don't take that into your batting. And I think there have been occasions where that has been the case. Um, now this summer's been quite mentally draining, and then you're trying to captain a side off the back of a a, a very, well, a, a World Cup win, which was just remarkable. But this, the whole tournament, really, I mean, we didn't make it easy for ourselves to qualify and then taking out the big teams and, and the way that we won the final... I think emotionally that took more out of me than I thought and you know, when you're playing and you haven't got time to think about it you don't really I think since then um, being able to look back on it now mentally that did take quite a lot out of me and it may have flowed slightly into uh, uh, some of my decision making as a batter or you know trying to start your innings at three noughts in that series you, you can't afford to not be right on it from ball one against a high quality attack like Australia um, and then you factor in some of the surfaces we played on. We've played on in the last two or three years. You'd probably say 
the most extreme services as well so that makes it even harder um, you know in england it has probably moved around more over the past few years sri lanka it turned square in the west indies the first two games were i mean i've headed one off a length of, <laughs> on day one i think so poor joe root oh he's under so much pressure isn't he he's england's captain that was recorded as well i know i watched that interview and that was recorded before their latest batting collapse which has been picked up on by a, a number of former uh, captains nasa say michael atherton etc going look we can give you we, we can give you one a centurion you know we can give you on that surface etc but the batting collapse we saw and some of the shots we saw played by the england players in this latest one is just not acceptable and then I think to to the point is when your youngest player, your youngest batsman, Ollie Pope, I think he's played three or four test matches, batting six, top scores of 61 not out. It shows it's not that difficult a wicket. It shows it with a bit of application, a bit of dedication, a bit of discipline, you can grind your way to a score, which is when England are struggling like they are now, there's not enough guys stepping up and really doing the hard graft. It's still fancy shots. They're still getting caught at first slip and second slip, and they're still flashing outside off stump. They're not playing disciplined innings, and that's what you have to do when you're not in fine form you have to find a way to get the runs on the board and be in the test match and batting first in that match getting the best of the conditions in, in theory at Newlands and only scoring 269 is a disappointing effort by England Looking at the openers as well Arch is it I think it was Zach Crawley and Dom Sibley in the, in the first innings I mean I've got to be honest I, I, I don't know too much about those individuals I know uh, Zach Crawley is just 21 years of age um, Four they, didn't, they didn't score many runs uh, in fact they hardly scored any I think the only opener uh, was, was who's actually made a score was Rory Burns in this series thus far it's been an ongoing problem for England as it has been with many other test sides I mean opening bat it used to be to, you know, it used to be something that you would rely on. You used to have players who would, who you could send out with confidence. It seems like an, a perpetual rotation. They haven't settled on on the right combination. They don't seem to have enough quality as an opening bat, and that that just lays a shaky foundation for the rest of your innings. Well, maybe that's why there's all this talk about moving to four-day test matches. We talked about it on Thursday night, didn't we? About the mooted idea, ICC wanted to move to four-day test matches. And part of the issue is batsmen aren't as dedicated, can't bat for as long as they used to. Some of the pitches are being criticised, but some of them are too flat, some of them are too spicy. They seem to not get the balance right. And it's a massive concern for England in that, you know, we, we've talked about it for, for a decade. The retirement of Andrew Strauss. Strauss and, and, and Alistair Cook was the last great English batting opening partnership. Alistair Cook, well, he stood the, tenth, the, the, the test of time, but he's had, multi, he had multiple partners. Rory Burns has did an okay job. He's come in, he's still quite new to it, but then he rolls his ankle playing football before this test match. You've got two basically youngsters who've done a little bit in county cricket, but not much, basically because there's no one else. Where, where else do you go? And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sad side in the times. Um, I, think, I think one of the reasons why uh, India is the number one test team at the moment is because they have, <laughs> a, they have a balanced uh, squad <laughs> with Mayank Agarwal and Rohit Sharma as, as two openers who are really doing well. I think uh, talking about the opening partnerships, I think in the last three or four test matches, Agarwal has gone on to score hundreds and so, so has Rohit Sharma. But the real test will be when they visit uh, New Zealand next month. That's going to be a big uh, series for India. Send us your thoughts on all things cricket. Uh, when we come back, we will continue our discussion on all things sport. In fact, Robbie Greenfield has been catching up uh, with some leading lights of both the men's and the women's game of football who were in town for the recent Globe Soccer Awards. We will find out more next. 
This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Game on down at Barasti. We're getting ready for yet more games uh, in the FA Cup third round. And, of course, big one in La Liga as well, the return in 2020 uh, of a certain Real Madrid. However, uh, talking of big names, there were no shortage of them in town for the recent uh, International Sports Conference and a glittering night under the stars, the Globe Soccer Awards. Rob? Yeah, I caught up with, earlier this week, England and Leon right-back Lucy Brown. She was the inaugural recipient, Tom. I know you were there at the awards ceremony. She was the inaugural recipient of the first ever Women's Player of the Year for the Globe Soccer Awards. Encouraging to see the Globe Soccer following in the footsteps of other awards accolades like the Ballon d'Or. And a couple of years ago, they introduced an award for the, the best female player. And indicative of the fact that there's just it's been an you know uh, an explosion of interest in the women's game, uh, which was highlighted and illustrated by record viewing figures for the recent Women's World Cup this uh, last summer. I keep saying this summer. No, it was last summer, back in in France. Uh, I think 1.12 billion people tuned in to watch the final between the USA and the Netherlands. Lucy Bronze herself, she is, well, I think without question, the best defender right now in women's football. She's right back for the all-conquering Lyon, Champions League winners. She's right back for the Lionesses. England made it to the semi-finals of the World Cup and they've got good prospects going forward with a, a young and upcoming team under the coaching of Philip Neville. I caught up with Lucy and uh, we discussed a wide range of things. I want to play you a couple of those clips, though, if I can now. The first one, I had to ask about whether discrimination still existed in women's football. Were women given as many opportunities as, or were, were, were girls given as many opportunities as young boys growing up and taking on the game? And this is what Lucy had to say. When I started playing, I, I didn't see a, a female player on the TV at all until I was maybe 16. I didn't even know that that existed. I didn't know women's football even did exist. So I think in that respect, I'm saying the change is massive. You know, you, you couldn't even... People ask, oh, where do you see women's football in two years or five years? And I, I literally answer, like, I, I don't know, because of the way it grows each year now. You, you never know where it's going to go. But at the same time, is there still this block? Is there still something holding it back? Absolutely. Could it be twice as big as it is? You know, you talk about 156% increase. There's still another 156% increase to go. I think there's a lot of things that still do need changing, um, especially if you, you want to talk about the opportunities for boys compared to girls. Then, yeah, the gap is, is bigger than people probably realise. The gap is huge, but have we come a long way? Yeah, we have. I think we're in that space where we're grateful for where the game's come now, but at the same time, there's there's even more work now to do to, to make it even better and to make it even fairer. And, you know, that that word that we always talk about, the, the equality, you know, that's something that I think every woman's fighting for, the equality in, in everyday life. But I think football's something where we're fighting a lot for and, and in a place where we actually are capable of making a change. I mean, wise words, and I think words from Lucy Bronze there that indicate that women's football is only going in one direction. It, it is growing, but it does have various ceilings to, to its growth. And one of those, I think, would be you look at, you go to a stadium, you go to the Premier League. I mean, it is 97% male. And I think the atmosphere at some stadiums, we've seen the issues that have been pervading. I mean, one of the, the points that Lucy made was you don't, you don't see any racist female soccer fans. That is a specifically male problem. And it's true. I mean, uh, the aggression and the atmosphere, the febrile atmosphere, if you like, Monty, yeah. at some of these stadiums might be something that would discourage women from going and watching football on a week-in, week-out basis. But 
I think the women's game is picking up its own uh, very sort of uh, inevitable um, wave of support in itself. Yes, indeed, uh, Robbie. I was there at the Globe Soccer as well last week and uh, I saw a host of uh, players. Amandine Henry was here, Saragama and uh, Lucy Bronze. Good to see uh, uh, women uh, taking up the sport, you know, I mean, and, and, it's, and it's getting there. It's, it's becoming a global sport. And we saw the World Cup, the, the record numbers that we, uh, we saw last summer. And uh, I think it's really good for the game. Uh, it, 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 it's not just uh, a male-dominated uh, game. It should be, uh, I mean, women should be given the right to, to, to participate and play uh, whatever sport they like. You know? yeah. yeah, the other thing that, that was quite interesting from the World Cup perspective was there was quite a lot of needle, there was quite a lot of controversy, it was the kind of things that you would see in, in the male equivalent of the World Cup where Megan Rapinoe became a polarising figure, uh, Alex Morgan with the tea drinking celebration you know, yeah. uh, it was, it was the, the kind of competitive aggression that you would typically see yeah. in, the, in, the, in the sort of men's game and, and I think that's a really good thing because you need those narratives, you need those rivalries, you need those controversies to grow media interest, that is what the media wants to write stories about, no one wants to write stories about how everyone's getting on brilliantly. They want needle, they want rivalries. And um, talking about Megan Rapinoe, uh, the, um, what she wanted was equal pay. Uh, you know, men and women get, get the same amount of salary or wages. Well, she wanted it for the international she, game. Yeah, yeah, international one. And, uh, and what happened a month later once she raised this, Australia, I think, have, uh, have done that for uh, the Socceroos and the women now get uh, equal salary, uh, the national team. So it, it's good to see that uh, Megan Rapinoe has made a, a statement and it's, and it's reaching uh, different nations. Well, she's making yeah. the point that the female USA women's team, four-time World Cup winners, the men I don't believe have ever gone past the quarter-final stage of a World Cup for, for the women to be not as pay, well paid as the men on an international level. And I think that people got a little confused with, with the club game and, and market forces dictating how much players were capable of demanding in terms of their salary. I don't think Megan Rapinoe was saying that every female player needs to be paid as much as Cristiano Ronaldo. She was saying that um, uh, national footballing bodies should pay the men and the women the same amount for representing their country, which I think is absolutely fair. Speaking of Megan Rapinoe, I did ask Lucy, I mean, a rival of hers, someone who who knocked England out of, uh, or helped knock England out of the semi-final stage of the FIFA Women's World Cup. But Megan Rapinoe has become such a polarising and important voice in the women's game. What did Lucy think of her outspoken stance? Yeah, definitely. I think we've got to remember that the reason she's got this voice is because she's an outstanding player. So yeah. I think the, the fact that she's got that right first, you know, she's got everything right on the on the field. She's won World Cups. She's done unbelievable performances, not just in World Cups, but throughout the year, throughout the years of, of women's football. So I think the fact that she's got that right first, which has given her this platform, and she obviously has a very strong opinion, whether it's right or wrong. Personally, I agree with most things she has to say anyway but whether it's right or wrong you know that's that's opinions that's that's what they're there for and the fact that she's using this platform to fight for things that a lot of people won't fight for because it's maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable for them or maybe they don't care or or whatever this is someone who cares about them and you know what she she doesn't care what other people think about her which is amazing and i think as a woman and women in the world a lot of women care about what other people think about them. You know, they're worried to upset people. And this is a woman standing on the stage talking, talking about Donald Trump, talking about Sports Illustrated, some of the biggest things in America, some of the biggest things talked about in the world. And she doesn't care what people think about her for saying these things. And I think that's something that's, that's amazing about her is the fact that she does not... She doesn't care in the slightest whether you like her or not. She is going to share her opinion and she just wants to make a difference. 
and that is the current climate with which we live in where people who are not afraid to speak their mind and you see that in all walks of life be it sport be it politics be it be it entertainment people outspoken people who have bold and unapologetic things to say capture an awful lot of the sort of media attention and Megan Rapinoe in women's football has done just that I mean to get up and receive the Sports Illustrated Athlete of the Year award and then to chastise them for not giving it to enough women and for not giving uh, enough jobs to minority and female writers as well I mean uh, it was pretty brazen of Megan Rapinoe to do that but of course it made headlines all over the world and that's why she's unique I mean she's she's one of a kind uh, in my opinion and uh, it's good that we have Megan Rapinoe's because uh, at least, at least uh, she's making a difference. You know, there are things changing and things happening uh, in the women's game. Name it football or any other sport, but she's making a big difference. Yes, and uh, full full respect to her. Yeah. I did mention those viewing figures for the FIFA Women's World Cup. 1.12 billion people tuned in to watch that final. I think there was, as Lucy mentioned, a 156% increase on the previous World Cup. It's just a watershed moment. It's it's a huge crossroads for the women's game. And I asked Lucy to try and put it into her own words as to what were the driving factors behind that growth in interest? I think the, the quality, well, the, first of all, the quality needed to get better anyway. And the quality has get, gotten better across the entire board, you know. I think a decade ago, you know, a handful of good players. Now there's, there's way more. It's multiplying. So you, you've seen a lot more top games. And I think that's what people want to see. You know, there's so so many fans in the men's game already, and I think if we can replicate those kind of exciting games that they have in the men's game, in the women's game, you know, people are just gonna, football's football. People are just going to want to watch. People want to watch football just because it's football, whether it's male or female. If the quality's there and the excitement's there, the atmosphere's there, people are going to enjoy it. And I think that's kind of what's happened in 2019. People have it's kind of clicked in the head that football is football. Why not just watch this just as much? You know, World Cup finals, a World Cup final, and you've got these two great teams, the US, the reigning champions against Holland, who are the European champions. It's it's kind of a, a golden game to, to watch in a final. You can see why people want to see it. As women in general, anyways, we've always we've never been as aggressive. Uh, yeah, yeah. As, as aggressive in the media as um, you know, women aren't probably as as much as to, to want to want to show off about themselves and individuals. But I think something that the Americans were maybe it was it was like a negative thing about them that people were talking about that they've got a bit of swag about them, but it was actually in them doing that it kind of brought it out in other teams as well, which is what people want to see. You know, the people like to see the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, the way that he talks about himself, the way that he wins these awards, and 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 the way he is. That's kind of what we're bringing a little bit into women's football where people are, are sticking their chest out a bit and going, do you know what, I'm, I am good, I'm, I'm going to do this cup of tea celebration against England, as much, whether the other team like it or not, you know, we've, we've got those little rivalries and we've got those more those personalities, those big personalities now playing in the, in the game, which people like that, people enjoy seeing these things, people enjoy watching celebrations from Mbappe or Ronaldo, or, you know, Messi holding his shirt up and, and now you're looking in the women's game and, and there's these kind of little things going on in, in there as well where people either, ha- either love it or they hate it, but either way that they can't keep their eyes off of it. Great to catch up with Lucy Bronze. Congratulations to her on being the first female to win the Women's Player of the Year Award at the Globe Soccer Awards. Many more, I'm sure, to come for Lucy Bronze. We're going to hear from Mikel Silvestri, who was also at the awards next hour. We're keeping an eye on a fresh round of FA Cup fixtures, and it's also kicked off between Getafe and Real Madrid. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.